chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For those of you visiting this morning, we are in a series of messages uh, on the book of 2 Corinthians. Going to touch on uh, the subject uh, this morning of martyrdom, uh, as this also is a Sunday in which we uh, stop as the Christian church and remember our brothers and sisters in Christ who are indeed uh, victims uh, even today of being martyrs. But we'll do that more exhaustively tonight, uh, not only in prayer, but also in our message as well. But also, uh, this is a good passage for us to, to touch on, on a profession of faith and a baptism as well, as it reminds us of what really this is all about, about the, one would say, the end game, about where, where this all leads. And hopefully... Each of you here this morning has the hope and comfort that this passage gives, that you also are one who uh, are saying, and I will live my life for you, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If not, pray that today the Spirit might indeed work in your heart and tug upon your heart as well. 2 Corinthians 5. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home, is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. And we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Let's again bow before the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, how can we thank you for what you have done? For you have done it already. Yet we still look forward to the time that we can be with you in heaven. That we look forward to the time that we can perfectly worship and praise your name. Lord, we thank you for your word that tells us of this great promise. And be with Pastor Bob as he feeds us with this word of yours. May we look forward to this time in eternity. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Three things from this passage this morning. First of all, the comparison that Paul makes. Secondly, the meaning of that comparison. So if you're filling out the sermon outline, point one, the comparison. Point two, the meaning. Thirdly, the results. Where does this take us? So what? we could ask. First of all, the comparison. Well, it's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. 
passage compares for us that a tent as compared to a house. So just think of those two structures. First of all, you have a tent. In a, in a few minutes uh, after our worship service, as I announced uh, before church, some of us are going to meet in that classroom, and we're going to talk about a, a camp out. Camp out, yeah, that's changed over the course of time. People bring their big fifth wheels with slide outs. People bring their RVs. People bring their trailers. People bring their campers. Very few bring a tent. Although probably most of you, if if you've had camping experience in your life and in your background, if you now own one of those nice luxury RVs or even just a, a trailer, you probably began in a tent. And think about, again, what that was like. Now, perhaps you don't want to think about it. There were issues, weren't there, about setting up the thing first of all. There were arguments that ensued about where the strings went, where the tent pegs have to be. And then the tent peg is on top of a rock, and then you break the tent peg. And it didn't always start off real well. And sometimes it didn't necessarily end well either, because a tent is not meant to be a permanent structure. It's subject to all the elements, to the rain. Remember those those old tents when you touched it? That's when the water came in, so you had to huddle in the middle if there was a rainstorm, and hopefully your sleeping bag didn't roll and touch it because then it would be soaked in the morning and you'd have to string lines and dry everything out. Camping was such fun in those days. Subject to all the elements, to the cold, to the wind, to the sun, to the rain, eventually those tents began to get holes in them, wear out. Perhaps branches went through it or a spark from your campfire landed on it and you get a little burn hole and that becomes a drip hole. It becomes problematic. A tent is meant to be temporary. A tent is something that has no foundation underneath it. A tent is a place that oftentimes smells. You've got that musty smell to it. You think, why didn't, why didn't we unwrap this thing and air it out before we went? Now we have to sleep in this. But sleep is not something you do a lot of in a tent, is it? It's restless. It's not that, that deep sleep. It's, it's a restless sleep. The noises from outside, the cold, the early morning. And we can hear everything. You hear the people next door snoring as just as loud as you are. A tent is not meant to be permanent. A house, however, when you compare it to that tent, think of the differences. Many of you are uh, in the congregation this morning are builders and you you know that all that goes into it you know all the planning you know all the details you know all the architecture that has to work itself out you know the weight limits and the load limits for the snow that will probably eventually come this winter you plan so that there are no leaks at all you give it a solid foundation you spend time going deep with that foundation 
making sure it's set, making sure that it cures, making sure you coat so that there is no leakage, so that water is drained away. Think of all the planning that goes into that home. Think of the planning of once the structure is in and all the drywall and all the painting and the carpeting and the tile and the fixtures and the lighting. It's something that you say, this is meant to have some permanence to it. It's meant to stay. It's a place of comfort. It's a place of safety. It's a place of of protection from all of those elements. That's the comparison. Where we know that if the tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So there's your comparison. What is the meaning of that, though? What is Paul driving at here? He's not talking about that little green pup tent or the homes that most of us live in. What he's talking about is he's saying that that tent structure, that's like our earthly body, or perhaps you might want to say our earthly life. It's our life here. It's filled, Paul says in this passage, with groaning. For while we are still in this tent, verse 4, we groan. Verse 2, for in this tent we groan. Living life here in this body, in your body, is a life of groaning. A groaning not only because it involves pain and discomfort, not only because our bodies are are wrecked at times with disease and illness, with sickness. But there's also the groaning of of the hoping for something better. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 that that even the Spirit groans. The Spirit is groaning not because the, the Spirit is in pain, but the Spirit knows that something better is coming, and it's sort of a groan that's sort of like, oh, Lord, come quickly. Lord, Lord, come quickly. Lord, end the misery of this life. That's why the book of Revelation ends with that as its message. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Maranatha. It's a groan that says we're looking for something better. We're tired of the tent. We want this experience in some ways to be done, and we're looking forward to that which is to come. Paul says in that Romans 8 passage that even creation groans. Groans in eager expectation for us, for us to be fully translated into God's presence. Next time you go for a walk and you're in the woods, those of you who are hunters, as, as uh, November 15th approaches, when you're out in that woods and it's early morning and, and the wind begins to rustle and you hear one of those trees creak and groan, think back to this message. And think back, what is creation doing? It's groaning in an eager expectation for us to be fully translated into the presence of God. While we're in this tent, we grow. 
It's like probably in that camping experience in that tent when things started to go sour, when the rainstorm came, when the lightning is beating against it, when the water starts coming into one of those corners and stuff starts getting wet. And the smell is, oh, it stinks in there. Go, how long are we staying out here? How many days did we plan? Aren't we about at the end of this camping experience? Paul is saying, that's what it's like for us living here. As believers in Jesus Christ, as we live life filled with all the groanings, filled with all the sin that is around us, we groan, waiting for that day of Christ's coming, waiting for the day when we get to enter into glory and we're done with the tent. Paul, in speaking about the tent as our earthly body or life, also talks about clothing. Note when we get into verse 4, he talks about, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. We don't want to be found, verse 3 says, naked. Now he's not talking about a physical nakedness, he's talking spiritually. He's talking not only because as we live life in this tent, not only do we deal with all the physical problems and ailments that make us look and say, Lord Jesus, come quickly, but there's the spiritual dynamic of it as well. There is the sin that we wrestle with in our own hearts. There is that knowledge of knowing what God's will is, what God's holy and perfect will is, what God desires from us, how God desires for us to live, and there is that daily reminder of we don't do it. We let words come out of our mouth that shouldn't. We let thoughts enter our minds that shouldn't be there. Our actions are not what they ought to be. We don't have the dynamics within our families or between husbands and wives that ought to be there, between parents and children, between fellow believers, between us and a boss, us and a teacher, or between us and a student. Things We, we know that sin has entered in. And we're longing for the day. See, as believers, we're, we're clothed, but, but we know that we still have sin. We know we're still wrestling with it. We know the righteousness of Christ covers us from all of our sin. We know that, as the passage we looked at last Lord's Day, we are perfected. We've been justified. No more sin. We're holy in the presence of God. But we also know that we dwell here in this world, in this body of sin. We know we displease God. We know he's not honored by us 24-7. And for us as believers, we grow. Why we ask those making that profession of faith, do you acknowledge that you're a sinner? Do you acknowledge that you hate the sin that is in your heart? Do you acknowledge that you're going to strive Strive to, as that sin is exposed, as that sin is uncovered, that you're going to strive for the righteousness of Christ. See, in this tent, we grow. We groan to be fully clothed with Christ's righteousness. We long live holy, pure lives for the glory and the honor of God, for the grace that he has given to us in Jesus Christ. 
The tent represents this earthly life, whereas the house represents our heavenly body or our heavenly life. A life in which we are fully covered. Let me take you back to the Garden of Eden. Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve sin. They eat of the forbidden fruit. They hide from God. They make fig leaves for themselves. God comes and He visits. God in His grace comes to sinful Adam and Eve and visits them and says, what is this that you have done? I was naked. Have you eaten of the tree that I commanded you not to eat? Now you know and understand your nakedness. Now you know sin. And what does God do? God says those fig leaves aren't doing it. He takes an animal. He slaughters an animal. Takes the the life of an animal. The blood of that animal was spilled. He takes the skin of that animal and he gives it to Adam and Eve and he says... Cover yourself with this. A glorious, beautiful picture of the Lamb of God who comes into the world, who takes away our sin so that we are covered, covered fully, completely, totally by the blood of Jesus Christ. And in glory, in heaven, in the house that is eternal, that can never be destroyed, that can never be blown away, in that eternal house, in our heavenly life, not only are we declared righteous, as we are here, but we are fully righteous in Christ. And Paul says, God has given to us a guarantee. Verse 5. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. The word that's used here is the same idea as a pledge. And the word that's actually used in the Greek here was taken out of the commercial world, out of the legal world, to, to, to sort of be the, the down payment God gives us His Spirit. God draws us to Christ as a guarantee, as a pledge of what He will ultimately do for us. See, that's why why there's joy at a profession of faith. That's why when Nicole comes forward, when Lindsay comes forward, when Josh comes forward and they profess their faith, We know that that can happen. We know that that true profession of Christ cannot even come out of the heart of sinful man. Sinful man goes and hides from God. It is only a heart that the Holy Spirit has touched. It's only the heart that the Holy Spirit has drawn to Himself that says, I'm going to do this thing that makes me so uncomfortable. I don't like to stand before people. I don't like to talk to people. But I am willing to do so because the Spirit draws me. 
to say, Christ, you are my all in all. Christ, I want nothing better than to live for you. We look at that and we say, that's the Holy Spirit. And that's their guarantee. That is their guarantee that they have an eternal hope waiting for them. Because God is always true to His Word. His Word cannot be broken. John 10.35 God always keeps His commitments. God always keeps His pledges. That work of the Spirit in your heart as well. That having been drawn to Christ in your life is God's guarantee. Oh, Satan wants to onslaught against that. Satan wants to convict us otherwise. Satan wants to stir up sin and guilt in our hearts and in our lives. But God says, no, I've given my spirit and he is the guarantee of where this journey ends. It doesn't end in a tent. It ends in an eternal house of permanence, of comfort, of safety, of perfection. That we need. Well, what are the results of this? Look at verse 6. Let me list three results for you. There are probably more if we took the passage apart even more, but let me highlight three. Paul, in fact, says it twice, this phrase. So we are of good courage. Verse 8. Yes, we are of good courage. What is the result of knowing, of knowing where my journey ends, of knowing where your journey ends, of knowing where Nicole's and Lindsay's and Josh's journey ends? What's the result of that? Always, always of good courage. Not sometimes of good courage, not once in a while of good courage, but always, regardless of circumstances, regardless of situation. There is the courage to move forward. There is the courage to live, and there is the courage to die. Because you see, we know where this ends. As I mentioned earlier, today is the Sunday in which the Christian church remembers those who are martyred for Jesus Christ. How do you do that? How how do you stand or kneel before an ISIS soldier with a pistol to the back of your head or a machete in his hands and you know this is where it's going to end? How do you still confess Christ? Because you know where it's going to end. And you know it doesn't end in the sand of the Middle East. You know it ends in glory. So whether you're from Indonesia, whether you're living in the Middle East, whether you're in Nigeria today, whether you're in all of these various countries of the world, and yes, even here in the United States, 
taking a stand for Christ, knowing it may end up having your life taken from you. Always of good courage. Because I know what's ahead. And what is ahead is far better than what I'm leaving behind. It's the comparison of a house to a tent. I've been in a tent long enough and so many times in my lifetime as a cadet. I don't want to go and stay in a tent. I want the home. I want the house. I know what this life is like. You know what it's like. You know the groanings. You know the sin that still lurks in your heart. You know you can't wait for glory. And if it happens because cancer cells invade your body, as it did Arlene and Grandma, or it be a kidney that's failing, or a heart that's failing, or it be an ISIS soldier standing behind you, you know where the journey ends. Always. Of good courage. See, that's what we as believers have. That's what we have. Do you know? I know you know this because I've told you before, but it bears repeating. Do you know the times in which the church grows the fastest? When the machete is being used the most. When martyrs are falling, the church grows. Why? Because the world looks at it and says, what do they have that I don't? Those people are willing to die for something. What is it that is so valuable to them that they're willing to die? You are. My all in all. And nothing, nothing I have compares to you. That's what the believer has. Second result. Not only is there this always being of good courage, that's what this teaching about having a house gives to us. It always gives us courage. That's what God is doing. He's building that courage. He's giving that strength. One last thing about that. I've told the the, uh, high school kids before, I said, I don't think any one of us can ever imagine the scenario that we see replayed over and over again throughout the Middle East of, of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ being martyred and, and knowing what's coming. It, it, it's hard for us here, living in the comforts we do, to, to imagine what would we do in that time. You know, and I'm sure many of us would probably think, myself included, could I do it? But you see, something preceded this. The Lord gives his spirit as a guarantee. 
And I believe that it is the Spirit who gives us that strength at the moment of our martyrdom, should it be. See, our home, our house, the glory, we do not see fully now. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Secondly, the second result is seeking to please the Lord. That's what the whole thing about, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Verse 9, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. Seeking to please the Lord. Living as God desires. That's what we saw displayed this morning as well in their professions and in that baptism. It's a seeking to do that which pleases God. Lord, you're the builder of my home. You're the builder of my eternal security. You've provided my covering in Jesus Christ. Here's my life. You're my prince of peace. I will live my life for you. To your praise, to your glory, to your honor. The questions we ask at a profession, the questions we ask at a baptism are about the question of, are you going to bring Emerson up to be one who seeks the Lord? Are you going to do everything in your power, Lindsay and Josh, to make sure she knows who the Lord is, to make sure she knows who Jesus Christ is, to make sure she knows and understands what Jesus Christ expects and desires and longs for from those who follow Him. That's the questions of focus. Do you know Jesus Christ not only as your Savior, but do you know Him as your Lord, as the one who you're giving your life to, saying, I'm no longer in charge, I'm no longer in control. Josh is saying, Christ, you're in charge. I live my life for you. Lindsay, I live my life for you. Nicole, I live my life for you. Each one of us as a believer in Jesus Christ, we are seeking to please the Lord. Not to please ourselves, not to do what we want, but to live as the Lord desires for us to live. To open up His Word, to search the Scriptures. What does God want me to do? How does God want me to live? How does God want me to act in this world? What does God expect from me when I go to the poll on Tuesday? Live my life for Christ in every single area. Because, verse 10, always, Looking to Christ. Always. For we know there's a day of judgment coming. And for us as believers, come! I know what the answer to that court case is. I know what's going to happen on judgment day for me and for each of you as a believer of Jesus Christ. Covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. No sin. sin. 
See, that's why, that's why the, the, the Bible has these people who are longing for the coming of Christ. Longing for it. Why? Because we don't fear the end. We know the end. We celebrate the end. Covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. But for those without, Those who do not have that hope, those who do not have that profession, those who do not have that testimony that they're looking to Jesus Christ, they know they're a sinner, they're aware they're a sinner, but they've tossed Christ aside. To them, to them, Christ comes in judgment and says, let me see, what have you done in your life? Oh, wow, this could take a while. Sin after sin after sin after sin. To those in Christ, covered with the blood of Christ. Father, thank you for today. The choir began with a beautiful hymn reminding us of the fact that we are forgiven and how it is that we are to live, live for the one who has indeed given himself for us. Called, Father, to to live the life of love that Christ so loved us, we are called to love one another. We've seen your love displayed in the professions in the baptism. We've seen your love displayed in our songs and hymns. We've seen your love displayed in your word. Lord, today's a great day. For we encounter your love. And even as we remember again that look on on Emerson's face, Lord, we pray that today we are again shocked by the awesome grace and love that you give to us as believers in Jesus Christ. May it not be ho-hum. May it be, what was that? Oh, Lord God. May we always be in awe of your grace and love to us. For Lord, here it's but a tent. Someday, a house. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. And God's people say, Amen. 469, back in the Blue Psalter hymnals, 469. We stand to sing a hymn that reminds us of the victory that those who have gone before us already are sharing in, already experiencing a hope that you and I have as well. Singing it as a reminder to ourselves of what lies before us.